Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akosia Ochi. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, after months of wait, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, approves the Akufado government's application for a $3 billion bailout. Is that the end of our troubles? Also coming up, more than two years after he was elected and started representing the people of Asin North, the Supreme Court makes a landmark decision that orders Parliament to expunge James Jachikwesen's name from the records of Parliament. What does that even mean? And later, on Eyewitness News, founder of defunct Capital Bank, Emmanuel Atuisian, gets temporary reprieve in the courts as he's given some time to make payment to the state as he had pledged or go to jail. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... The Ghana city becomes world's best performers. IMF board approves Ghana's $3 billion bailout to revive economy. That's in 50 minutes from the business desk of CTFM and uh, City TV. Eyewitness News is live across the country on a number of affiliate stations, uh, including in the Upper West Region on Tungsung, 97.3 FM in Wa, Jirapa, 96.1 FM, also in Wa. In the Upper East Region, we are on Tanga, 93.7 FM in Bolga. In the Northern Region, on Radio Bimbila, 91.9 FM. In the Volta Region, we are on Revival, 99.3 FM in Tajevu. In the Ashanti Region, we are on Focus, 94.3 FM. And Orange, 107.9 FM, both in Kumasi. In the Bono Region, on Greener, 95.9 FM in Sunyani. Ahafo Region, we are on Hames, 106.5 FM in Gorso. In the Western region, we are in Takradi on Beach 105.5 FM and Sky Power 93.5 FM. The show is interactive. Do join us on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. Send tweet using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. We are live on YouTube and we are live on Facebook. We are also live on DSTV. We are on City Newsroom. Dot com. Let's get over details of our stories now. And the executive board of the International Monetary Fund (IMF) has granted approval for Ghana's three billion dollar bailout request aimed at revitalizing the country's struggling economy. The decision was made during the executive board's meeting held today, following Ghana's receipt of financing assurances from the Paris Club. International media giants Reuters and Bloomberg have reported that the approval of the three-year extended credit facility for Ghana has been confirmed by several sources familiar with the matter. The International Monetary Fund will hold a virtual press conference tomorrow to give further details on the outcome of the IMF Executive Board meeting on Ghana's bailout request. So this has been long in coming since President Akufado ordered his Minister of Finance to make that phone call to Washington, D.C., begging for help from the IMF an institution the government had said it was never going to go to, doing that magnificent U-turn, which has led to 
ugly attacks on the government for failing to live up to, up to what it was actually promising Ghanaians. Over the last 12 months or so, this issue has been on the discussion table from the beginning to the predictions of haircuts and all of that to date. The man who has been leading us through and working with us throughout this conversation is uh, someone who has been involved in the financial sector for many years. He's a director of strategy and business operations at Delex Finance. His name is Joe Jackson. Joe, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening, Marwan. It's good to hear from you. It's good to hear from you. It was it was just like yesterday when we started talking about it and uh, you explained to us what... Um, what um, uh, the issue of haircut meant and all of that. Uh, the haircut has come and gone. The three billion is finally here. Is that to mean that our doors have been open? We can go and get more money and possibly become more reckless. <laughs> Maru Sanda, it means the exact opposite. What this means is that once we've taken the money, the behavior that we have to undertake to ensure that this money is spent properly has to kick in. We now have a big stick over over our backs, making sure that we do the right thing. So if anything at all, this is the absolutely wrong time to believe that you can get reckless again. This is the time when you get prudent with your money. In any case, you would notice that this has been, this has come rather quickly. And we haven't finished all the agreements yet, even some of them domestic. So this is just to say, listen, we know you are in trouble. We know you have two to three weeks of reserves left, left and that is foreign reserves left, and that is dangerous. So take the money whilst we finish off the other agreements. The other agreements will be signed but we are in an even weaker position to negotiate anything at this moment. And we have to take the conditionalities, however harsh they may seem. In any case, some of us may argue that the conditionalities are good for us and that our reckless behavior has brought us this low. So we need to rein back expenditure, undertake the structural reforms to the economy that has required so that we can get back into shape. Anyway, by the way, the eurobond market, they may have forgiven us part of our debt, but they haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten. We will not have access to the, the European market or the eurobond market for some time. Definitely not for the rest of the year, and most probably for next year also. They have forgiven, but they have not forgotten. And they still know how, they still remember how we behaved by not paying our debt. Don't forget that the money that was given to us also has pensioners' money in there, has taxpayers' money in there, and they've taken a haircut. They are not about to forget in a hurry. Okay. The reason I introduced the issue by talking about recklessness is that this will be our 17th time. And it is recklessness that keeps taking us back there. It's almost as if when things get to 
the lowest of low, we go to the IMF, we get credibility, and then we go back to the old habits. That's why I'm asking the question, that now that we have gone to the lowest of low, we've run to IMF with our tail between our legs, and we have been given a huge tap on the back by one of the most credible institutions in the world, we now have the doors of other persons open for us. So we are going to go back on the borrowing spree, and then that's going to lead us back to where we were. You don't think that's going to be the case this time around? Because I'm not sure we can say we've learned our lesson, because the last 16 appearances have taught us that we don't learn from this. Oh, I, first of all, the program is going to be for a few years. So whatever it is, we're going to behave properly for the next uh, few years. Apart from that, I think that we're so close to disaster at this time. Slow, so close to total collapse. But if we don't learn our lesson from this, I don't think we'll learn our lesson any, any other time soon. And it is after the dust has settled, it is important that we sit down and ask ourselves, how do we make sure that the governments to come will not be as reckless as this? How do we make sure that we don't borrow and borrow and borrow until we can't pay anymore? How do we make sure this does not happen again? Now, how do we make sure this does not happen again? There will be measures that are put in place. Some could be legal, some could be political, some could be economic. Do we not have these measures to guide us? And these measures in the past, when we even had a homegrown solution we were working with, things still went south. Well, we do have some of the measures. But one of the things I, should, I believe we should do is that those measures we have can be suspended with a simple majority in parliament. One of the things we should do is to make sure that it requires a supermajority, a two-thirds vote, to overturn some of the limits that we have on our spending and deficits. So that even if, as happened, or as we suspect happened with, uh, recently, even if some members of parliament nicodemously cross carpet, it won't be that simple to uh, 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 overturn a vote that we want, a vote that will protect us, a vote that will keep us from reckless behavior. So I believe that the first thing we must do is to make sure that you can't overturn uh, spending limits that have already been written the zero finance law with the Bank of Ghana. You can't overturn any of this with a simple majority. If you want to, you need a simple majority. Even if 30 MPs Nicodemusly cross the carpet, you will still not be able to do it. So then we can be protected. So that is one way. Um, government itself, what does it have to do now? Well, that's a very important way. Because government, the, the rules say, if the government does not do the right thing, we can refuse to do business with this government. So that's fine. Let us make sure that the rules cannot be upended easily. If need be, let us write more stringent rules about what happens to ministers if they overspend. We, we, we've been in a situation where people were not happy with the, 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 the public. 
ministers, even his own party, were not happy with the Minister of Finance, yet found it in almost impossible to pronounce censure on him. Maybe it's time to now consider easier ways to censure a Minister of Finance if we believe he's doing the wrong thing. The issue of government cutting down on expenditure has been on the table from the day, even before the issue of IMF came up. Uh, the government has consistently defended its position. Now that we have this uh, program approved, does it matter what the government does in terms of expenditure cuts? It does. It still does. Remember, it's not as if the government is going to receive $660 million and say, go and do what you like. That's not what is going to happen. That money is tied. What that money does for us, most important of all, is to show up our reserves. There still has to be spending cuts. Nothing has changed. And I'm sad that the conversation about spending cuts has come, has been reduced to, reduce, uh, to the issue of uh, getting rid of one or two ministers and the like. That's not it. It's about reducing the whole size of government. It's about cutting ministers, yes. It's about cutting appointees, yes. It is also about cutting the state-owned enterprises that are ineffective, that drain our coffers. It is about reducing the size of government in general, not just a few ministers. We know that it's $3 billion the government is expecting. We are told it's going to be paid in three tranches. Um, that money itself is not a big deal, is it? It just opens the door for us to have some credibility uh, moving forward. But when do we still need to see that money? And what do you think that money is really going to do for us? Because people hold the view that $3 billion, that's really nothing. $3 billion is nothing. But $3 billion will stave off the worst, the domestic, uh, the doomsday scenario that the Minister of Finance and even the President talked about. What we have is a big brother or a big sister who says, listen, I know you are so broke. I know you have your debtors hanging around you. I'm going to take this money and plug the most dire loopholes and have some reserves Whilst we need to finish up the negotiation and make sure that you have time to breathe and time to pay off your debts. It is not an invitation to treat. It is not an invitation to go on another spending spree. Least of all, it is not an invitation not to rein in your bad habits. So it's an invitation to say that Go back to the table and fix your mess and don't repeat that. Thank you. You've summarized it beautifully. It says that take this, hold it against the worst of your creditors so that your children can go to school, so that you can have some food on the table. But go and get rid of your side chick. Go and stop eating those fat meals. Go and start eating gobe. Which we will not Go do. and eat cocoa and cocoa for breakfast is so that, that you can start paying off your debtors. Is there any indication we are doing that or we are going to do that? Well, the days ahead will show. Remember that your big brother who paid the money will be watching you. And if you don't behave, 
the further this is only one tranche the second tranche will come the third tranche that you meet might as well forget it so you have to behave and the whole world is looking at you and watching how you behave knowing that since december you haven't paid the cd of your debt joe should we then expect to tighten our belts even further or this is a time to loosen our belts and go and hang out tonight and party and say hurry imf asikanabo please the conditionalities are not about to kick in the belt tightening is i'm now about to properly take effect so anybody who thinks this is a sign of jubilation well it is a sign of jubilation in the sense that the worst won't happen but you're still going to have to tighten your belt you're still going to face unemployment freeze. We are still going to uh, face the fact that the government is broke. And as not this 660 million, or even the total 3 billion, does not stop the government from being broke. Let's leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us, Joe. Thank you, Mary. It's been a real pleasure. And we all should sleep easier, but we all should realize that the the, 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 the most difficult times are ahead. Not behind us. Not behind us. Then it was not a pleasure speaking to you. Joe, you just came to scare me. But thank you for speaking. God is good and he's kind to us as Ghanaians. We lived in a state of grace since March. And nothing went wrong. And we've now got a relief. We should be pleased. We should be going to church and thanking the Lord for taking us through April and the best part of May without a disaster. Joe, I thought it was only finance ministers who quoted Bible and religious verses. You've just joined that bandwagon. <laughs> Thank you so I'm much. Sure. That's, Joe. That's Joe Jackson. He's director of strategy and business operations at Delex Finance. So the big story is that uh, the executive board of the IMF has uh, granted approval for Ghana's $3 billion bailout request. Uh, this was published by Reuters and Bloomberg. It's on our website, citynewsroom.com. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we'll return with more. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Omar Rusanda. I'm here with Akosia. Okay, let me bring some of your messages now. And Anafena uh, Neku says, It is not shame for a nation blessed. Is it not a shame for a nation blessed with all the natural resources to develop but still depends on foreign aid to provide basic needs to its citizens? We should bow down our heads in shame. IMF cannot solve our problems for us. As is Donla in War says, The IMF has to put irreversible measures in place to stop this government from unnecessary spending. Because the hardship across the country is unbearable. Man Sakara from Nungwa says, If IMF bailout is what will save this country, then we, think, we thank God. But let's work hard as a country to stop borrowing. We have much to depend on if we do the right thing. This one says, uh, Good evening. It's instructive to note that government's decision not to go to the IMF was grounded on the premise of the economic condition at the time. 
Um, take note, Ghana is not and cannot be the only country going back to the IMF in the wake of the global crisis. But for this global crisis, Ghana wouldn't have gone to the IMF. That's Kwesi Evans sending a message from Mankesim. Send yours to 0549-986-996, 0549-986-996. You can also send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umarusanda or at City973, uh, like uh, Baba Chairman has done from Tamale. And he said, thank God Ghana is about drawing the money from the IMF bailout. I, I get the government of the day to, to get a government of the day to do all it can to prove to engage in prudent and judicious spending. Okay, uh, more of your messages are coming through. Habib Bantu says, after getting the IMF approval, Akufado and Baumia's government is thinking of leveraging the money to go on their borrowing spree again. Can you imagine? Reckless, profligate spending and ostentatious lifestyles must stop. We won't go to IMF indeed. Senior citizen Harry Rashford so as part of it, we'll go to the finance um, ministry for good work done. Next portion, we'll go to the party for the 2024 campaign. Next part, will definitely enter into pockets. And the country will go down again for economic meltdown. There are some suckers in there. You can send your message to 0549-986-996. Let's go to the courts now. Lots of action. Um, someone... Who stole money from the state? Who pledged to pay that money back to the state? Failed to pay that money. The state wanted to jail him. He has got some temporary reprieve. And then a member of parliament whose election on 7 December 2020 um, is, is effectively nullified by the court. It's almost as if there was no election. There was no candidate who won. And that is it. And that person did not come to Parliament and was not sworn in on the eve of January 7, like we saw that night. That person is James Jachi Kwisin, the Member of Parliament for Asin North. Our journalist who was in court is Hansen Ajiman, and um, he uh, is joining me now. Hansen, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Sander. Which one are you taking first? Uh, are you taking Emmanuel to ACN or James Jachi Kwisin? I think James Jachi Kwisin um, has been getting the reaction from a number of people um, because of... Mm -hmm. Because, because of, the, of the, the, the size of the of the story being discussed. Someone is going to yes. lose the There's a, essentially going to be a by-election if if Parliament acts. But what was the backstory uh, of James Jachi Kwisin? How, how so, did we build up to here? So James Jachi Kwisin was... The, the accent not it was part of a number of things that the New Patriotic Party challenged after the 2020 election. James seat together, that's a thin note, together with that of Jomara, where seats, the NPP indicated that the candidates who contested were not qualified to contest because they were still holding allegiance to other states other than Ghana, and they had not renounced their allegiance to those states. And so they had breached Article 94, Clause 2A of the 1992 Constitution. So uh, Michael Ankuman, in fact, he is a plaintiff in this matter. He went to court in 2021 as a high court in Cape Coast and seeking a number of reliefs, reliefs suggest, indicating that 
the election of James Jatikwesen was null and void and a relief in dancing him. The High Court agreed to that relief and injuncted him. However, he continued to hold himself as a member of parliament. And then the James Jackson Christian and his lawyers went to the Court of Appeal to appeal that case. It was when they went to the Court of Appeal that Michael Ankuman Nimpan, the plaintiff in this matter, then went to the Supreme Court invoking their original jurisdiction to interpret Article 94, Clause 2A of the 1992 Constitution to give meaning to it and say that anybody who had not renounced his allegiance to another state at the time of filing his nomination was not qualified to be to contest as a member of parliament and that the decision of the Electoral Commission to allow him to contest was unconstitutional, meaning his subsequent election was unconstitutional and his swearing in was null and void and seeking any other relief that the court may deem fit. So after months of litigation, a seven-member panel led by Justice Jones came with the judgment for today. And the judgment is that from a careful interpretation Interpretation of Article 94, Clause 2A, James Jatikwesen was not qualified to contest as member of parliament, and also the decision by the Electoral Commission for him to contest was unconstitutional. Equally, his election and train in were also unconstitutional. The court then gave orders for parliament to expand his name from the records of the House. So this direction or directive would be sent to Parliament, and what that means is that the Speaker would have to then say that the Asin North seat has no um, MP, and and he has not been going to the chamber for a while now, hasn't he? And he has not been going to the chamber for a while now because when the case was filed at the Supreme Court, the plaintiff followed up with an injunction application. The Supreme Court held it, and by a 5-2, vote granted the injunction application so he had not been holding himself as a member of parliament for uh, months now so this is it he's now bad and forbidding completely from going uh, he's no more even an mp you cannot even call him an mp which means he was not even elected on december 7 2020. he was never an mp he cannot be called a former member of parliament nothing of him the swearing in of MPs which he took part on the eve of January 7 cannot be in any way uh, be considered to be lawful. So technically speaking, James Jatikwesen is who he is, James Jatikwesen and not a member of parliament. Now, what do we expect to happen next? Well, the New Patriotic Party, uh, who has been an interested party in this in in this matter, even though they were not party to the suit, but have always been around, are hoping that Parliament will soon uh, hold a by-election, hoping that uh, with his record, uh, being ex his name being expunged from the records of Parliament, the Speaker of Parliament will take steps to declare his seat vacant, and then the clerk of Parliament will soon notify the 
electoral commission, and the electoral commission will then organize a by-election. So essentially, from the side of the NPP, that is what they're expecting, that the by-election will soon be organized for uh, Athen North, for a new mem- member of parliament to be elected. Interesting. Um, he has issued a statement, James Jachukwesin, saying that that's the end of the litigation. He has no plans to proceed. I'll be reading uh, the statement uh, soon. Um, the party's caucus in parliament has already issued a statement. Uh, what that means is that it's the end of all the litigation. Uh, do we know if there's any criminal process on the side or it's so far just been civil? The state uh, filed criminal charges against him for what they said he was deceiving a public officer at the time when he was filing the nomination because when he was filing the nomination, he was asked to answer the question whether he owed allegiance to any other state and he answered in the negative. But considering the facts and considering the determination by the court, then they suggest that he owed allegiance to another state uh, before while fi- before filing his nomination and therefore the state views it as an offense. And so he's been on trial uh, for some time now. Um, the trial pretty much will soon take shape and the state will call it witnesses. But the state has made some criminal charges against him. So that's in the high court. Let's move from the former MP and talk about other things in the court. So I asked you to talk about Atuisian too, but uh, it has just come to my attention. Anas Arimia Anas was also in court today. Uh, you covered all of that. So tell us about um, the the CEO of Defunct Capital Bank, um, Atuisian. He was in court. He conceded to the court that he had stolen the money and he said he would pay back the money. He did not pay. The state went back to the court and said, jail him. What happened today? So today the state was expected to... The, the, the state was expected to uh, move its application on why James Jatikwisen should be jailed for not paying the 20 million as agreed in the plea bargain deal he, 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 he took with that under Section 35 of the Courts the court Act. Now, he, the, the, the state, however, couldn't move the, the, the application because at the end of the day, the judge said after taking a closer look at two Asians affidavit in opposition to this particular application, he realized that two Asians had aligned a number of steps that he was taking to give to get the, the, the money back to the state. And in, 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 according to the judge, Atuisian indicated that he has taken steps to liquidate some properties belonging to a company that he owns, and he is expecting to raise over $300,000, which he can use in profiting part of the that he owes the state as part of the deal. And according to the affidavit in opposition, uh, affidavit in, in, in opposition, this $300,000 is expected to be due to him in 90 days. And so it was the thinking of the judge, Justice Eric Taylor, for that. The 
movement of the, the the state moving the application should be delayed for some time so that at least uh, it can be identified that indeed Atu ACN is committed to raising this amount of money. And so based on that direction given by the judge, parties, all, both parties agreed that the case be adjourned. And the judge, in his own wisdom, indicated that a month is enough time for Atu ACN to show that he, he truly want to pay the amount of money owed the state. So the case was adjourned to July 4. The state did not oppose this particular stance by the judge. However, Deputy Attorney General Alfred Chianyabua made it known to the judge that if you look at the amount of $300,000 that A2ACN is saying he is going to get from liquidating his properties, if you convert it into Ghana cities at a, an exchange rate of 12 cities to a dollar, that will give you somewhere about 4 million Ghana cities. He has already paid 5 million of the 20 million that he's expected to pay. Now, if you add that 4 million to the 5 million, that's 9 million. And it will mean that some 11 more million will, will, will be left for him to pay as part of the deal. That is even if the state is accepting that he's supposed to pay 20 million now. But the Deputy Attorney General indicated that if you look at Section 35.7 of the Courts Act, it indicates that when you undertake a plea bargain under that section and you go against the terms of those sections and you were expected to repatriate some amount of money, the day you go against or default on the terms, then all the outstanding amount becomes uh, due for payment. And so it is the view of the Deputy Attorney General that they are, not long, they are no longer looking for 20 million Ghana cities from Atu ACN. However, they are looking for 60 million from him. And that by July 4, when they come back to the court, he should have paid the 60 million and having paid 5 million CDs, meaning that the outstanding amount is 55 million Ghana CDs. He pointed this out to the court. And so it appeared as though both lawyers of ACN and the state are at variance on what amount of money it's outstanding at the moment. But the point here is that the judge has given him up to July 4 to raise the amount of money he has assured that he can raise from liquidating his assets. The final issue in the court. The court has ordered Anas Saremia Anas to remove his face mask or his mask. What's happening there too? So the court says because Kwesinyantich is facing charges of fraud and corruption, that could lead to him losing his freedom and it is a constitutional provision in Article 19 on the rules of fair trial that anybody who is undergoing criminal trial should be given the needed materials and, and time to be able to defend himself appropriately. And so the judge felt that it's a matter of right for President at least to see Anas Armianas, who is a key witness 
to the case of the state against him. But the issue is that should Anas Armia Anas testify in open court without his mask? That was a question the judge answered. And the point is that when Anas is testifying in open court, he will be allowed to disguise himself by wearing his mask or the beads that usually he puts on. However, before he comes to testify, Kwesi will go into chambers with Anas and maybe with lawyers of Anas and also of the state where Kwesi will identify that indeed this is Anas with Anas not wearing his face marks. Now, this is the decision the judge has taken. And this was taken based on an application by the state for the testimony of Anas Armiana to be heard in camera. So the judge, in essence, agreed partly to the application by the state. The part that goes for the state is that Kwesinian Teche will go will go in chambers and see Anas and that knowing that this is Anas and this is the one who is going to testify against him. However, when Anas comes to open court where journalists or persons who are interested in the case will be seated, Anas will be wearing his mask. Has he accepted that decision yet? Do we know any reaction? Would they appeal that again or they, they would agree with it? Our sources within the uh, prosecution suggest that they are going to take this decision of the court to Anas for Anas to make his own decision. Mind you, uh, people are, have their rights and freedom as to whether they want to be a witness in a particular matter. So our sources within the prosecution say it's a decision that Anas will have to take whether he'll be okay with these terms to testify in order for the state to make its case against Kwesinian as far as the number 12 expose is concerned. So just to try and help summarize, um, Anas Arimia now set out to do this investigation as a private journalist, but when he gathered the facts, the, the state took interest. So it's the state that is prosecuting Kwesinian Techi, not Anas. Uh, Anas, the journalist who did the work now, is being called as a prosecution witness. He wants to come in the court wearing his beads. The opponent said no, that's Nyantichi and his lawyers. The court has decided now that Anas, you must remove your your face mask or your mask, uh, so that Nyantechi uh, would at least see you and know that this is a guy that is um, the witness against me. This is a guy who filmed me and all of that. Then we can go back to the open court. You wear your mask, and then uh, you would uh, we will go ahead with the proceedings. But Anas is just a witness for the state. He's not a guy prosecuting the case. So the options for him would be what. The option for him will be whether he will still want to testify or not. It will still be a decision that he will have to make. If he will testify, the state will go ahead with its strategy. If he will not testify, the state will see whether or not, with or without, without Anas, if he decides not to testify, the state will see without Anas if they can still pursue the case against Kwesinian Techi. And if they cannot, uh, Attorney General under Article 88 has the powers to enter Nolly Prosequa to discontinue any matter without giving explanations.
to anybody. So depending on how Anas Armia Anas reacts to this new decision from the court, it will inform the strategy of the prosecution going forward. Thank you so much, Anas. Uh, not Anas, apologies. Uh, Hansen Ajiman, uh, <laughs> apologies. Maybe you'll get there. For the extensive uh, report that you've given us, thank you. That's Hansen Ajiman. He's our correspondent in the courts. And um, so a number of issues that he's talking about, Emmanuel Atuesian of Defense Capital Bank. He's talked about, um, um, what do you call it? Anas Arimi, Anas Investigative Journalist and uh, Number 12 Documentary. But before then, he started off on the issue of the Member of Parliament. No more. In fact, the man who hoped to be, I think that would be more appropriate to say, the man who wished to be Member of Parliament for Asin North in 2020, uh, the Honorable uh, he is no more an MP. He has never been an MP, according to what the court has said today, the Supreme Court. A lawyer for uh, the plaintiff, that's the man who brought the case against uh, Jachi Kwesin, is Frank Davis. He spoke to journalists after today's hearing. Listen. We have to protect the sanctity of the Constitution. We are gratified that the law lords, all the seven of them, have agreed unanimously with the position we have held all along, and at all times material, James Jachikwesen was not qualified under the dictates of the Constitution of the Republic to have contested as a member of parliament for the Asin of Constituents. It's been a long road. We can all attest to the number of times we have paraded the court premise. But today, finally, the judgment has been handed, and we have a clear indication as to what the provision on dual citizenship is in respect of a contest for member of parliament. I mean, what do you expect to happen practically going forward? The court, interestingly, gave an order that his name should be expunged from the records of parliament. Of course, but that is a necessary consequence of the reliefs that we sought in the Supreme Court. If he wasn't qualified to have contested as a member of parliament, of course, the necessary inference is that whatever happened was null and void and of no legal effect whatsoever. So parliament can still not keep, cannot still keep his name on their books. It's a necessary consequence, but of course, the order has to be drawn and served on the speaker, and his name will have to be expunged. Your, your client is a, is a constituent. I mean, it means that he's looking forward to uh, the EC. Once that, uh, that order is drawn up, the EC taking steps for uh, the effectively by election to take place. <laughs> he's not looking forward. That is the constitutional injunction on the EC. So my client is not looking forward to anything. The EC will have to comply. Insofar as that seat now remains vacant, the EC has to conduct elections in that constituency. So it is not for my client to be looking forward. It is for the EC to comply with the orders of the Supreme Court. And the constitutional injunction is that if a seat is vacant, you organize first elections. I mean, That's Frank Davis, his lawyer for the plaintiff, uh, Michael Akuma Nimfa, in that Jachi uh, Kwesin case let's um, you know speak to the ndc side because the party has issued a statement i'll be reading uh, mr jachikwishin's own statement shortly uh, the minority side has issued a statement and says that the ruling on jachikwishin is baffling and that it to make a comment when the full judgment is released one of the members of the minority side who is a senior lawyer is uh, mahama yarga mp for boko central honorable you're welcome to Arena's news uh, good, good evening to you and good evening to your listeners. Um, it goes, with, it goes without saying that you know the issue of dual citizenship and MPs very well. The man who was once in the seat you are occupying now 
Adamu Dramani Sakande was jailed for a similar crime. This time around, it has gone as high as the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has made a pronouncement which I'm not sure has ever been made before, which nullifies the election of a member of parliament and declares a seat uh, as unoccupied. What's your initial comment, having heard that decision of the court? Well, I mean, it's uh, very unfortunate that our colleague uh, has had to suffer that fate. I have said severally that I believe the controlling provision is Article 94 of our Constitution, which says that subject to the provisions of this article, a person shall not be qualified to be a member of Parliament unless he is a citizen of Ghana. So one would assume that the time that uh, we refer to in determining eligibility is at the point where you are being sworn in as a member of parliament. And if at the time that you are being sworn in as a member of parliament, you are a citizen of Ghana, uh, my position is that you remain a citizen of Ghana. This case turns on the time at which the person reverted to his natural citizenship of Ghana after having revoked his um, assumed nationality of, of Canada. And at the time that the Electoral Commission accepted his nomination papers, the Canadian authorities had not yet forwarded to him his uh, revocation of citizenship. But at the time of uh, being sworn in as a citizen of Ghana, I think the evidence is that, uh, sworn in as a member of parliament, the evidence is that he had attained uh, the status of a citizen of Ghana. And that really is the, the issue in, in this case. There are those of us who advocate that the court should be more progressive in its interpretation of the Constitution and assume the determination of status to be at the point when you are being sworn in. But it seems the court has taken a position that it should be at the time that you are even filing your nomination to contest the elections. I am not in the country. I'm in Abuja attending a court parliament. I've not had the benefit of reading the, the judgment, uh, the ruling of the court. So, In, in fact, there's no, the there's, no, there's no full judgment yet. Uh, the court would give them... The full judgment will come out in June thereabout. That's what our reporter has just said. The only thing the court has done is to give the directive um, that um, the, the House of Parliament should act uh, by expunging his name from the records. The full judgment, I believe, will be coming later in the, in the coming weeks. So as much as we have is what we have shared now. And you haven't missed much. The scanty information that I've shared with you is all we have from the courts. Yeah, I've, I've been a critic of the Supreme Court uh, taking decisions without giving reasoning and allowing time before they give reasons. In politically charged cases, it will do the Supreme Court's image good if they took their time to give the decision and the reasoning at the same time so that space is not allowed for all sorts of interpretations that 
might go to undermine the image of the the, the court. So as it is now, it is difficult to do a proper critique of the decision without the benefit of the reasoning. I mean, there are several provisions in the Constitution that come to play. There are provisions relating to eligibility to, to be registered as a voter. Um, you cannot be registered as a voter if you are not a citizen of, of Ghana. Uh, you cannot contest for elections. I mean, you, you, you cannot be a member of parliament unless you are a citizen of, of, of Ghana. I mean, so I'm waiting to see how the Supreme Court came to its conclusion in the reasoning. But I'm one of those who thought that we should be moving towards this position that the determination of citizenship should be at the point of swearing in of that person as a member of parliament. No, I don't know if uh, you are ready for a question like this because maybe you don't have uh, done the analysis, content analysis of both cases, but is this case remarkably different from the Adamus Akandi case? Yeah, in the case of Adamus Ramani, he never um, revoked his British citizenship. He never did. Um, and up to the point when he was sworn in as a member of parliament, he did not revoke his uh, British nationality. And there was abundant evidence that he never revoked his British uh, nationality. I don't know if, even if at the point of uh, uh, imprisonment, he had revoked his British uh, nationality. There was no evidence to that effect. In this case, the uh, prison had revoked his uh, Canadian nationality, had brought documents to the Electoral Commission to demonstrate that he had initiated the process, but because of COVID and other things, the British, uh, sorry, the Canadian High Commission or Canadian government had not yet officially communicated the, the revocation to him. And the Electoral Commission itself, I believe, from the records and from what I hear, uh, then allowed him to to file his nomination. But subsequently, after the filing of nominations, the revocation documents came. So I believe that the records will show uh, that at the point of even the election, I think his revocation documents had arrived. At the point of this one, in, the revocation documents had arrived. So that is why I many of us think that uh, the court uh, should be looking at this case with a completely different lens. Um, let's look at the ramifications or the consequences of the directive by the Supreme Court saying to Parliament that expunge his name from the list of MPs. Pretend as if he was not even elected on December 7, 2020, uh, regardless of everything that would have been happening over the period. What are the practicalities of, of this particular directive? It means that that seat was never even occupied in the first place. It means that the NDC, as of um, the day you guys were sworn in, had 136 members of parliament. It also would mean that the number of MPs who voted for Aban Sumana Kingsford Bagbin and the number of MPs who voted for uh, the Honorable Mike, Professor Mike Ironokwe, 
those numbers would also have been affected. Am I stretching this matter, matter to absurd levels or these are things that can be considered? And again, even the issue of if he was paid salary for the past two years, what happens to the salary and all of those things? Yeah, I mean, um, that, that really is, is, is an absurd uh, position because uh, if you look at the Constitution itself, it uh, talks about unqualified persons sitting or voting and says that that Article 105, a person who sits or votes in Parliament knowing or having reasonable grounds for knowing that he is not entitled to do so commit an offence and shall be liable on conviction to such a penalty as shall be prescribed by or under the Act of Parliament. But then there are other provisions that talk about the fact that uh, an unqualified person participated in, in voting does not annul the, the decision that has been uh, taken by, by, by Parliament. So I can assure you that the, the decision of the court will not in any way uh, affect decisions that have already been taken by by Parliament. So I don't think that there is any grounds for anyone to be uh, worried about about um, the implications for decisions that have already been taken. Um, I would I will check through the provisions and you will find the provisions that talk about the fact that um, the participation of somebody who is not qualified to to vote in in, in voting uh, does not in any way negate the outcome of the decision of uh, Parliament. Very well. Thank you so much. I think we can leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. That's Honorable Mahama Ayarga. He is MP for Boko Central commenting on uh, the Supreme Court's decision. The Supreme Court has, by a unanimous decision, ordered Ghana's parliament to expunge the name of James Jachikwesen from its record as a member of parliament for the Asin North constituency. And you've been hearing reactions there. Let's now hear from the man himself, James Jachikwesen. He's issued a statement. Akusia, what's he saying? Yes, a long one, of course, and I read. He says, this morning, the Supreme Court, by unanimous decision, ordered the parliament of Ghana to expunge my name from the records as a member of parliament, the court ruled that the Electoral Commission acted unconstitutionally in allowing me to contest the 2020 parliamentary elections without proof that I had denounced my Canadian citizenship at the time. I filed my nomination in October 2020 to contest the parliamentary elections. In fact, the EC inspected my renunciation certificate in November 2020 prior to allowing me to contest the elections. Thus, I was fully qualified to run according to the EC's regulations, which the law presumes to be regular. Yet the court holds that I should have offered this proof to the EC at the time of filing for my nomination and then applies the holding retrospectively to disqualify me. It is a matter of public record that I filed for the renunciation of my Canadian citizenship in December 2019. It is also a matter of record that I left Canada in February 2020. It is also a matter of record that as soon as I applied for renunciation of my Canadian citizenship and left for Canada, I lost all the rights of 
Canadian citizenship. It is also a matter of record that I picked up my renunciation certificate from the embassy in Accra in November 2020. It is also a matter of public record that Canadian law does not say I owe allegiance to Canada even after filing for renunciation. In fact, Canadian law is inequivocal that this this Voyal and allegiance is subjective and can be done at any time, including immediately after swearing the oath of citizenship. Thus, under Canadian law, I owed no allegiance to Canada at all material times. I am, of course, disappointed by the court's decision. I am especially surprised that the court now says that foreign bureaucrats now determine whether natural-born Ghanaians have the right to contest for parliamentary elections in Ghana or not. Thus, a country that does not allow renunciation of its citizenship can bar a natural-born Ghanaian who has severed all relations with a country of acquired citizenship from ever standing for MP. Nevertheless, I have turned the page on litigation and this, of course, the courts of justice. I will leave the matter to the courts of conscience, which Gandhi reminds us all, supersedes or other courts. Helping to develop my constituency has always been and remains my priority. I assure my constituents that nothing has changed. I will work even harder than before to win their support and also to attain these goals. I thank the good people of Asin North, the leadership of the NDC, my attorneys, and also the numerous Ghanaians from all sides of the political divide who have supported me during these turbulent times. Together, we must ensure that we build a progressive and inclusive society that does not treat any of our citizens as second class. May God bless our homeland Ghana and make the country great and strong. Blessed my beloved Asen North constituency and her people. Thank you. So that's a statement from James Jachi Christian, the man who the Supreme Court has told Parliament to remove his name as a member of Parliament elected for that constituency. Over two years ago, this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka. In Accra. Up next is Business News, and then we have Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Natalie Nete Ajaho. Let's settle for the details now. Economists with the University of Cape Coast, Professor John Gachi, has stated that governments must be ready to avail itself for accountability from Ghanaians on the usage of the cash support it receives from the International Monetary Fund. This comes as the IMF board has approved Ghana's $3 billion bailout to revive the economy. The IMF is also expected to hold a virtual press conference tomorrow on the outcomes of the IMF Executive Board meeting on Ghana's request for the extended credit facility arrangement. In an interview with City Business News, Professor John Gachi also reiterated calls for government to be more prudent in its fiscal policy direction. Well, I believe uh, we all have responsibility. The IMF has the responsibility uh, to make sure uh, they, they live to their 
mandate to ensure that government adheres to principles of prudence. Citizens have a mandate to ensure that they are very active on issues regarding transparency and accountability. CSOs are asked to be very active uh, in demanding accountability from government. Uh, but uh, we also need to caution because when you listen to government spokespersons on radio and television, they seem to uh, think that this money is coming and that will give them uh, 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 some fiscal space uh, to borrow to do their things. But I believe uh, that is not the extent. So we need all of us have to come on board to press the button of demand for accountability, transparency and disclosures. It is only then that the government can do the right thing. You don't have a government that is about to go into election and thinking that uh, the government will willingly be doing what is right. Uh, I do not think so. So the uh, the call is for all of us to demand accountability, transparency and prudence. He also highlighted what government should do to get the other tranches in the coming months. Yeah, the other tranche is predicated on performance. So performance metrics uh, in the various areas uh, will be put before the, the government and government economic management should, should aspire to meet those performance targets. And when they are met, then the funds will be released. When they are not met, then there is a problem of release of the, the net tranches. Uh, and uh, I believe uh, the government has to work very, very hard uh, to meet those performance targets. Other than that, the first tranche is very crucial for government. It's crucial because it will set signal to the, uh, the global environment that uh, IMF is now on board. And that is the restoration on the path of uh, prudence and perhaps on the path of the policies that are being sent out. The policies uh, may receive some uh, credibility. So that is why the first tranche is very, very crucial for government. Professor John Gatch is an economist with the University of Cape Coast. The Ghana Chamber of Commerce and Industry says it does not believe that a 10% reduction in transport fares is significant enough to have a substantial impact on businesses. The reduction in fares comes as a series of decreases in fuel prices. According to a statement by the GPRTU on Monday night, the reduction will affect shared taxes, intracity and intercity transportation, as well as haulage. In response to this development, Mark Bidwabwaji, Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Chamber of Commerce and Industry, said... There will likely be minimal, if any, reduction in prices of goods and services. In in the environment that we find ourselves, the macroeconomic environment has been harsh for the past two years. That is why we went to the IMF. We are hoping that with this uh, approval by the IMF, uh, we are likely to see stability in the foreign exchange market. We are also likely to see a drop in the inflation. And I hope also that the central bank will follow suit by reducing their policy rate, which will translate into a significant reduction in lending rate. If all these things are uh, happening uh, at the same time, then likelihood is that the production will go down and then businesses are likely to respond positively and also reduce prices of goods. You heard the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Mark Bidu Abwachi. The Ghana City has the, the, the Ghana City continues to gain more grounds against the US dollar today following a 
following the expected approval of the $3 billion extended credit facility agreement for Ghana by the International Monetary Fund. This comes as the fund has already approved a $3 billion three extended credit facility, according to Bloomberg's currency tracker. The city's remarkable 33% gain since November marks the highest among approximately 150 tracked currencies. Also, investors have also enjoyed strong returns from Ghana's dollar bonds, delivering nearly 12%, surpassing the 3.6% average for emerging and frontier markets. The positive sentiment surrounding the potential bailout has also contributed to the city's recent strengthening with expectations that it may trade below 10 Ghana cities against the U.S. dollar in the coming days. The Peasant Farmers Association of Ghana has attributed the low churnout of farm produce on the local market to the high cost of production in the country. According to the association government's policy for planting and food and jobs, which was intended to address some of the challenges confronting farmers such as high-cost fertilizers and the production value chain has failed. Speaking to City Business News on the sidelines of the Stakeholder Validation and Budget Credibility Workshop in Accra, the National President of the Association, Weipa Adu Awal Adugla, called on government to review the planting for job programs as it is crucial to the country's economic growth. We're basically looking at the challenges that our members face. As peasant farmers, we went through a lot of challenges. And you know, the planting for food and jobs is targeting smallholder farmers. And then we have basically made an assessment of the program to come and sit down and see whether there can be any review. In fact, we are very happy the new minister is talking about the review. So we have examined the implementation of the various, uh, I mean, uh, programs that were under the planting for food and jobs, i.e. we are looking at fertilizer, we are looking at other whether is it yielding the results that is desired and we have gone on the ground we have done some findings we have done some finding about it and then at least at the end of the day we'll make recommendations to government we look at the cost of production last year it was very high and most of our people could not produce enough they have to reduce the size of their farms and if they are reducing the size of the farm which will have an effect on the price of food in the market we saw the inflation food inflation was very high so basically we are hoping that recommendations out of this the findings and this is basically to make recommendations to the new minister to input them into the review of the planting for food and jobs program that was the national president of the peasant farmers association of ghana wepa adu awal adugla and finally the fortunes of the ocean continues to decline at alarming levels bringing along with the loss of billions of jobs and rapid depletion of fish stock World leaders are growing increasingly concerned about the negative effects this is having on the global economy as the ocean alone contributes to over $3 trillion of the global economy. In Ghana, over 3 million people whose livelihoods demand depend on the ocean risk going out of jobs if the state, is, if the state of devastation of the seas continue. Speaking at the launch of the Blue Economy Summit, which will take place from May 31, Dr. Eugenius, presidential advisor on SDGs, described the situation as critical and called for immediate action. The ocean makes life possible by providing half of the Earth's oxygen. It contributes more than 1.5 trillion a year to the global economy from fisheries and aquaculture to shipping and marine tourism. And also from offshore renewable energy marine biotechnology and ecosystem services. Despite these myriad benefits, our world is sitting on an ocean time bomb and the clock 
is taken. The ocean faces a crisis of monumental proportions as a result of overexploitation and degradation. Overfishing, pollution, climate change, and other pressures are taking a heavy toll on our oceans and our, and our, on our coastal ecosystems, threatening the livelihoods and well-being of millions of people, not just in this our beloved country, but also around the world. Friends, the narrative that the ocean is too big to fail is therefore a misguided one. The evidence is clear. Ocean health and productivity are declining at an alarming rate, and this poses an existential threat to the ocean and humanity as a whole. Eugene Owusu is the presidential advisor on SDGs. And that's it for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajau. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we are returning to the issue of Galante. The Asante Hineo 24732 II has served notice he will soon summon chiefs within the Amansia areas of the Ashanti region for questioning following the continuous devastation of lands in the area by activities of illegal miners. He says he's unhappy about the reports he received about the degradation of the environment by illegal miners in the areas and questioned the role of the chiefs there. We were speaking during the launch of the 2023 edition of the Green Ghana Day. Before we hear from the Otuvo, let's hear from the Minister of Lands and Natural Resources, uh, Samuel Abdullah Jinapo, who did the launching, and he called on Ghanaians to support this year's Green Ghana Day. Two years ago, specifically on Wednesday, May 12, 2021, His Royal Majesty opened the first regional consultative dialogue on small-scale mining here at the Great Hall, following the national dialogue which was held in Accra. Again, since the Green Ghana project began some two years ago, His Majesty has religiously participated each year, leading the entire Asantiman to plant millions of trees across the kingdom. And today, he has graciously accepted our invitation to launch the 2023 edition of the Green Ghana Day. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nananom, it will be remiss on my part if I don't express the great pride Otunfo brought to us, his subjects, Asantiman, Ghana, and I dare say, all of Africa, for the elegance and astute African royalty 
Otunfo displayed on the occasion of the coronation of King Charles III, his royal self, his royal self, a great champion for tree planting. Otunfo Danasantehne, we appreciate your outstanding leadership and inspiration. I, I am also grateful to the affable and serviceable Vice Chancellor of this university, Professor Mrs. Rita Kusia Dixon, who doubles as a member of the Ministerial Advisory Board of the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, for always hosting us in this serene environment. I am informed that this great university, under her leadership, has always taken keen interest in the Green Ghana Day, leading secondary schools around the university's enclave to plant trees each year. Your Royal Majesty, earlier this morning in Sunyane, in the, in the Bono region, I had the privilege of opening a two-day transformational dialogue on small-scale mining, organized by the University of Energy and Natural Resources. It is perhaps not a mere coincidence that this afternoon you are leading us to launch the 2023 edition of the Green Ghana Day. For the nexus between mining and forests is obvious. That is why I said to the conference, and I quote, the exploitation of our mineral resources and the protection of our natural environment, as well as the protection of human rights, are not mutually exclusive, but can peaceably coexist, end quote. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, the Green Ghana Day was instituted by government as part of measures to curb the incessant degradation of our forests, which has been going on for years without any conscious effort to replace them. For example, between 2010 and 2015 alone, a total of 160,210 hectares of forests was lost. Yet, between 1963 and 2016, a period of 53 years, only 157,300 hectares of forest was cultivated, less than the amount of forest in just less than the amount of forest lost in just five years. Your Royal Majesty, it is therefore became necessary to adopt aggressive measures to restore our lost forest cover. In 2017, government began the implementation of the Ghana Forest Plantation Strategy. And as at the end of last year, over 690,000 hectares of forest had been cultivated through initiatives such as forest plantation, enrichment planting, and trees on farm. There was, however, the need to create an enhanced national awareness of the necessity for collective action towards restoration of degraded landscapes in the country, inculcate values of planting and nurturing of trees in our citizens, particularly among the younger generation, mitigate climate change, and beautify our communities and environment. That is why the Green Ghana Day was launched, with a day each year set aside for the entire country, led by the President of the Republic, to go planting. The first two editions were very successful, having exceeded our targets on both occasions. Let me use this opportunity to, on behalf of the President of the Republic, thank all Ghanaians and all residents of Ghana who have supported this project in the last two years, which has resulted in the planting of some 30 million trees. 
Over 23 million of these trees have survived and are doing very well. To be able to devote attention and resources to these trees, we have revised our target this year downwards to 10 million trees. And we have chosen as a theme, quote, our forests, our health, end quote, to signify the importance of forests to our nation and our very survival. To achieve our target, we will rely on all of you, our revered chiefs and queen mothers, religious and faith-based organizations, ministers, parliamentarians, judges, public servants, civil servants, doctors, teachers, lawyers, nurses, security personnel, artisans, private sector organizations, civil society organizations, students, members of the diplomatic corps, development partners, and all persons living in Ghana. As is always the case, we have designated for this year's Green Ghana Day degraded forest lands both on and off reserves, watersheds, boundaries, office compounds, and sites within communities, including parks, roadsides, homes, farmsteads, churches, mosques, and schools, as significant areas of planting on the Green Ghana Day. The Forest Commission will, in due course, provide a detailed schedule of seedlings distribu distribution and pickup points across the country to ensure easy access to seedlings for planting. Ladies and gentlemen, there are also opportunities for corporate institutions to adopt compartments which will be branded in their corporate names after planting. Your Royal Majesty, Honorable Ashanti Regional Minister, Nananom, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, the importance of trees to our survival and the survival of planet Earth cannot be overemphasized. The adage, quote, when the last tree dies, the last man dies, end quote, was true when it was said many years ago, and it remains so today. It is therefore important for us to come together to save planet Earth for both current and future generations. If we were able to plant over 26 million trees last year, we can definitely do more than 10 million trees this year. All we require is your support and commitment. Let us, therefore, Ghana and Asantiman, come together on the Green Ghana Day under the leadership of Otunfo Osetutu II and plant trees to save our forests and our health. I'm happy to learn that since its inception, the Asante region has consistently planted the highest number of trees. Of the over 31 million trees planted within the two years, some 7.8 million was planted in this region. And I'm even happier to learn that majority of these trees have survived and are doing very well. So it shows that our toils and sacrifices are not being wasted. This year, we have another opportunity to renew our support for this noble cause on the Green Ghana Day. And the theme chosen for this year's edition, our forest, our health, summarizes the importance of forest to our lives. Jump. It is not for nothing that forests are called the lungs of the earth. For without forests, life on the planet is itself impossible. Apart from their health benefits, Forests contribute significantly to national economies. The reality, however, is that our forest resources are under serious threat from a range of environmental challenges, including illegal mining, the headache of Ghana, 
illegal logging, deforestation, forest degradation, land degradation, climate change, soil erosion and loss of soil fertility, and many others. Goal 15 of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals aims to protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat des desertification and halt and reverse land degradation and biodiversity laws. Zone. It is very sad that despite the several measures government has been putting in place to curb this menace, illegal logging and illegal mining continue to pose a threat to our forests. Zone. It means that government cannot do it alone. We must all get involved and support government to come to grips with these matters. Zone. My chiefs have, know that I've been sp speaking about this, and I'm not happy with chiefs in Amansia area where uh, Galamse has taken over the land. And I say to them that if you sit there and you claim that you don't know what is happening, then you are not fit to be a chief over there. Zone. So these are matters that we are going to take it up again. And I, and I don't care whose goals it is, because we have to enforce it. And I have to start with my chiefs first, and then government has to deal with the other ones. So we all have to take matters seriously to be able to bring this to a closure, because I, I cannot accept that. I'm going to take a drive around those areas, in the Amansia to Mansum Kwanta area, and all those things to see. I've gotten reports about what is happening, and I'm going to do that. So and if I, if I finish with that, all the chiefs around that area may have to answer to as to why that has happened. So, I was alarmed to hear during the minister's press briefing a couple of weeks ago that forest reserves in the Bakwai Forest District, including the Oda River, Subin Shelter Belt, and Apampram Forest Reserves, are the, the most difficult reserve to control due to activities of gun wielding illegal miners and loggers. So, cannot continue. I have therefore charged the chiefs in these areas to work with the Forestry Commission and the Ministry to find ways of ridding these forests of the illegal miners and loggers. And I know Nananum, some of them have benefited from these illegal miners. It is a fact that we have to accept and appreciate. Government side too, I know the accusations over there, they also have to fight it. So we all have to fight it. We cannot hide under anything by saying that we don't know what is happening. We all know what is happening and we have to fight this one. We're listening there to the Otum Asantini or said to the second. Earlier, you had the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abdullah Jenapo. That'll be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. I did this with uh, Akosia Ocho, technical support from Daniel Squashi, production by Wilson Kopner and Beverly London. Technical support, it's, uh, I mean, new media support from Edwin Kwaku. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT.
hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.